I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. And uh, hey, just don't forget, I've got The Rugged Life coming out May 10th. If you're listening to it and it's already out, well, then it's at every place where books are sold. Or you can go the easy button Amazon and have it delivered to your front door like some typical lazy American that we've all become. But uh, that's The Rugged Life. And the goal of that book is, uh, well, it's pretty simple. If The more self-reliant you become the less the outside world can affect you. So get some skills. Skills last forever. They don't run out of batteries and they only get better. So uh, now let's jump in. Today we have, actually I've been looking forward to talking to this guy because uh, I binge watched alone, I think from season one all the way through whatever the current season is. And Mark was on Alone Season 7. He's a former recon marine scout sniper, a hunter, a woodsman, owner of International Mountain Survival, and the owner of Woodsman Selection, Mark D'Ambrosio. Welcome to the show. Love having you here. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it has been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we uh, initially hit you up. It's hell it's probably been a year now and uh but i saw you that's i mean that's that's where it all came from i saw you on the show and i was like i gotta have this guy on plus you're a veteran anytime uh i can help out a veteran get uh his message out or whatever he's got going on then i like pulling him in and letting him uh self-promote all day long so thanks for being here right on thanks for having me um where are you right now looks like a nice little is that a cabin a home or yeah, it's a, it's a little rental home, but I am home now. Uh, I just got back from the Sierra Nevadas doing a course there, but it's usually travel, travel, travel all the time. So it's nice to be home for uh, until Tuesday, and then I leave again. Damn, that's a, that's a busy schedule. Um, but hey, hopefully you don't have to do that forever. The hustle supposedly will pay off later, right? Or so they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as usual, we're going to start with your rapid fire and... Uh, you can answer whichever one, and then we'll circle back around and talk about the why. So here we go. Primitive skills or more modern day skills? Modern day. Modern day. Okay. Uh, the bow or a rifle? Rifle. Yeah. A Bic lighter or a feral rod? Feral rod. <laughs> the uh the fishing pole or a fishing net net yes a casting net or a gill net okay when you said fishing net that's what i thought you meant was a gill net yeah so that's, i'm gonna that's go okay. with, yeah i'm gonna go back with fishing pole and then i'm gonna go gill net <laughs> all right that's fair enough and then uh Beer or wine? You can see where I'm wine. going. Yes, I thought so. Okay. And then uh, a good pair of boots or a nice warm jacket. I know. That's a tough one. Boots. The boots. The feet. Uh, are you a Bronco kind of guy or a Mustang kind of guy? 
Uh, <laughs> Neither one, but Bronco. Okay, <laughs> you're not a Ford person, I'm guessing. <laughs> I so, am. Okay. Um, all right. So, mountains or the ocean? Mountains. That was a gimme. Uh, money or memories? Memories. Here we. Nice. All right. Circling back up to the top, we had primitive skills or modern skills. You pick modern skills. What's your why? Uh. That's pretty much what I do for a living is kind of, you know, I don't teach people how to nap stones or anything, but like going out there and using what you have. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do teach a lot of primitive skills, but mostly for the fact of showing them why they need to have and prepare with the right stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And is there any, I mean, any primitive that, has lasted into today's world that you feel like is still just as important as it was, you know, a thousand years ago. Yeah. I'd say like preserving food and stuff like that. Um, you know, without electricity uh, and power, you're not really have any way to preserve food and meat and your food supply. Yeah. So some of those more primitive ways of doing it still, you know, go into it today. But, um, I don't know. I think there's so many, so much trash and tools out there that you can use nowadays for getting through some situations. That yeah, yeah, and we're gonna dig into that. I kind of, I feel like you can go by the uh, and you, you kind of lived this experience with the TV show, and like it's amazing what you can get by with. You don't need the the five hundred dollar, you know, fixed blade knife to pull off some things in life, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to digging into that later. Uh, you, bow versus rifle. You picked rifle. I figured that would be. That's kind of like your uh, third appendage, right, or fourth. <laughs> um, it is. It is kind of a hard thing, but you know, if I had to pick one over the other, yeah. Yeah. Any reason why? Well, see, you know, it's not the easiest answer because one, you're like, uh, do I have unlimited ammo? Probably not. So then you're like, okay, I would pick a bow because you can always make a you make your arrows and everything pretty easily. But then again, you don't always have a string, and making a a real string for a bow is not easy. Um, no, but uh, let's just say I had a certain amount of rounds. You can make a bow while you're out there. You can't make a rifle. There you go. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Bic lighter versus uh, the ferrule rod? Yep, I love my ferro rods. Um, I bring them everywhere with me to light everything. Uh, it will never, well, it, it does actually run out, but get the six inch by the half inch uh, ferro rod, it'll last a long time, a lot of oh. strikes. Yeah, yeah, that's thick, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and Bic lighters, I mean, you still see them in all these little everyday carry, and I'm sure you see all the same stuff I do. I mean, do you feel like there are at least some advantages to having, like, a real lighter and make it easy on yourself or no? Absolutely. Like, if you want to get a, if you know, hypothermia situations, you want to get a fire lit right now, it might be a little bit easier to have an actual flame. Yeah. Um, but other than that, if you can take a couple minutes, you can almost always get a fire in almost any environment yeah yeah no doubt uh and then i gave you the uh the fishing pole versus a fishing net and uh you picked fishing net initially and the next one really was just to make you pick casting versus i figured you would pick a gill net right over, <laughs> a, over a fishing pole i think uh i think we can all agree that 
that a properly placed gill net is like a thousand times better than almost anything else, right? Yeah, and that was something that I did not really understand fully until I got to place a gill net because you know it's illegal to do it in a lot of places, almost yeah. everywhere. And so when I got to put a gill net in, and I was like, Jesus, this works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, one of the best ways to bring in food. One of the easiest. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, when you talk about survival situations and you want food now, uh, well, not now, but pretty close to now. You know, you just got to wait. Um, not a bad way to go. And so I think instead of you know, and then I gave you the fishing net versus a gill net, just so that the listeners, most of them, when you say fishing net, they think the thing that you scoop a you scoop the fish out of the water with after you've caught it with a pole, right? Um, so the difference between the two, you know, there's, there's casting nets. Did you ever, you use those, right? Oh yeah. I use those all the time in Florida. Yeah. And, and did you feel like those are pretty successful or would you still? I, go... I, 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 I do. And I guess it all depends on, are you near the ocean or are you near a lake or a river? Um, yeah. Lake and rivers, I guess you could use cast nets too, but with all the rocks and everything and the stream, I wouldn't want to put one of those in there, but with a, a gill net, because it was gill net versus casting net, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I've never never used a gill net in the ocean, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how that would work. I'm sure it'd work because you just you could just got to figure out a way from the shoreline straight out, and I just figure something big like one of the big ass sharks or something would mess it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> that is a possibility. Um, okay. And then beer versus wine. You picked wine. Have you always yeah. been a wine kind of guy? No, not really. But considering I started a winery uh, recently, <laughs> I had to pick the wine. That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you've got this cool wine out with these cool bottles and we're going to dig into that too. Um, so yeah, it makes sense to kind of switch. <laughs> um, a good pair of boots versus the a nice warm jacket. You pick boots. What was your ultimate reason? I if I got a good pair of boots, I can always go out there with that rifle and make myself a nice warm jacket. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people understand how important your feet are, right? Until they yeah. go to, until they go to shit on you. I, uh, I try, I, I, I try to stress it all the time. Like your feet become like your number one survival tool and you've got to make sure, like whether it's an urban jungle out there and you turn a corner and there's a bad guy facing you, you've got to either be able to fight or run in the shoes you're wearing. Um, if you're at home, like, you know, I'm sure you have all these habits from the military, but for me, my shoes are always, my boots or whatever, are always like right by my bed. And they're the first thing that goes on when I get up in the morning or whatever, just in case. And especially when you talk about natural disasters, I live in Tornado Alley, so you know, having your boots by your bed is not a bad idea because those feet become really important. Last thing you want to do is shred them on glass or whatever else. And then out in the boonies, you know, where you hang out most of the time, you know, boots are, that's your, that's your main vehicle, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, any favorite brands you've got? Um, I've been using Solomon's for quite a while. Um, I know there's a lot of good good ones out there, crispy boots. A lot of hunters are using crispies and stuff, but uh, Solomon's have done me solid for a long time. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. They became the new combat boot there for a while. I felt like 
I was getting issued a pair like once a month, and I still have like all of them. I can't seem to get rid of them. I just like keeping them. <laughs> yeah, and they, you know, they, they do like fall apart on you within like a year if you use them a lot. But for for me, you know, just go personal preference thing. Yeah, yeah. I, one of mine that started to come up, you know, where it started to pull at those. Uh, it always pulls down at that one seam down where your toes bend and uh yeah i would always just you know there was one pair i had where i was just throwing you know duct tape and everything just because they they fit my foot like a glove and i didn't want to have to worry about breaking something else in you know um okay and we got the bronco versus the mustang really is you know i i figured you'd pick something that's more four by four versus sports car so you're a four by four kind of guy i'm guessing yeah, got to get off in the backcountry. Do you? Uh, are you a truck guy? What do you? What do you? What's your preferred uh, vehicle these days? I am. I just had to buy a new truck six days ago, and it's already got scratches and pinstriping down the side and a dent. Um, <laughs> I've had a I've had a Tacoma for quite a while, and I, I love the Tacomas. And uh, I just wasn't willing to uh, wait a year and a half and pay ten thousand over sticker. Yeah. So I ended up got getting a Dodge uh, Power Wagon, which <laughs> I'm not a very big Dodge guy. Yeah. And I've talked a lot of shit on this truck, um, but we're going to see if it works out. They just weren't asking 10,000 over sticker. And I'm a real, uh, <laughs> I have a real big problem paying more than what something's worth. Yeah. Especially these days, man, the car industry has gone through the roof. I mean, it's crazy. the fact that you can take your used car right now and get a lot of people t- are taking used cars to dealerships and getting the same, if not sometimes more than what they paid for the damn thing. The used car market is through the roof. It's crazy. Yeah. Who would have thought? Um, but I'm with you. I've got a I've got a Tahoe, uh, and I've I've always kind of had them off and on. Uh, I go back and forth kind of between the Tahoe, the Suburban, you know, the Z71 package, and four you know four wheel drive is definitely mandatory for where my ca- my cabin's at. And, uh, I've always dug them. I mean, they could do a little better with, with how the console and the user friendliness of things, but as far as performance, I've never had an issue with those motors and that's really what you're buying. I always go after the motor and not really. I know. Worried. Right. And I'm really, I'm really waiting for this Dodge just to break it like 20,000 miles. Like <laughs> I have zero faith in this, in the Dodge brand. And I'm like, man, my buddy talked me into it. And I was like, all right, well, hopefully it'll prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of like America. Right. And I try to, sure. I tr- really try my hardest to always buy American, but, uh, you're right. After, you know, we've all played around with the Toyotas overseas, and that's where the uh, the love for them, you know, you see what you can put them through, and they they keep on running, and they keep doing what they're supposed to do. And, of course, that's why you've got a lot of former uh, military driving, driving them. Um, okay, mountains versus ocean. This was kind of a gimme. I figured you'd pick mountain, but you never know. Some people might you that might you might be thinking ocean because it's a vacation and you need one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you live are you living in the mountains? Where are you at? No, I live in uh, I live just north of Vancouver, Washington. So I live in Ridgefield, Washington. Um, I live close to my son. Otherwise, I would never live in this shithole of a place. Actually, Ridgefield's not that bad, but you know it's way too close to Portland and Seattle, which is really interesting towns to live in. But uh. I got yeah. another 14 and a half years here. So I just look at it as a people watching time, yeah. observing my enemies one day. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is a little bit of the opposing mentality around you, right? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, that's too bad because that's beautiful terrain up in. Uh, oh, yeah, that's awesome. It is, man. It's I was up there uh, for for research for rugged life. I went to several uh, families that are on grid, off grid homesteaders. You know, really living that life and a hundred percent self reliant. And I was blown away. It had been a long time since I'd been to Washington State, and I was blown away just how beautiful you know and. I mean, every, those roads that, that wind, you know, you come around one wine, you see like a, a snow capped mountain and then you come around another road and there's another one and another, I mean, it, it was just beautiful. Every turn you took, it was awesome. It'd been a long time since I'd been there. So, um, and then of course we top it off with money versus memories and you got memories. Yeah. So you are you, uh, do you feel like the hustle you've got going right now to, accumulate enough cash so that you can just keep on going with the memories or are you just trying to intertwine all of it together or do you even do you have a plan yeah you know um i really don't think about money too much i just think about just going out there and doing what i like to do and having fun doing it um i've maybe that's because i've been successful doing the shooting and the survival aspect of things and going on alone and um so financially i've been successful building myself up for this and so even with the winery um it's more about just adventures right so yeah. then when you said memories i was like yep that's it because uh that's what i want to create in life I, I don't care if i have 10 million or 100 million in the bank when i die i just want to have lived my life yeah yeah i'm with you I, I know when I was retiring out of the military, I had this vision of like, yeah, I want X amount of dollars in my bank account by age 45 or 48 or whatever the hell the number I had in my head. And then when you get out and you actually start working, you start and, and you're kind of working for yourself and you're basically, you know, you're it's all new territory. And yeah. it's not as easy as it, for me, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, you know. It's never as easy. And and then all of a sudden that number that I had, I started going, oh, okay, maybe it's not going to, maybe I won't get that big of a number in my bank account anytime soon. <laughs> and, and then, and then, yeah, and then I was like, you know what? That's stupid. Right. I woke up one day and I was like, it's not about that dollar sign. It's more about, you know, what is the lifestyle that I want to live that makes you happy. Right. And then you start pursuing the path of the lifestyle in itself versus trying to accumulate cash. And before you know it, you're like, oh, okay, now I've got this great ecosystem set up. It's my little world. It's my, it's my equivalent to my, you know, my nine to five job and every aspect of it for the most part I like now. And, and then if you like it, you'll be good at it. If you're good at it, then the money will follow. And that's, uh, you're what, six, seven years later after retiring, That's kind of my personal uh, lessons learned on it. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. 
Hey, this is Clint Emerson, retired Navy SEAL. I get a lot of questions about my morning routine. So here it is in a nutshell. 5 a.m., wake up. First cup of coffee, I dump Bub's Naturals MCT oil in there. And then I mix it around with one of those little automatic stir spoon thingies that make it all frothy and creamy. And then my second cup, I dump Bub's Naturals collagen in there. Now, the reason I do both is the first one, MCT, fuels my brain. It gets me up, allows me to focus on whatever I've got going on. The second cup of coffee has collagen, which honestly, it's like lubrication for my joints. It makes my neck and my shoulders, my left hip and my left knee feel pretty damn good. And it wasn't until I went over to Australia that I realized that this stuff really does work. I was overseas for about 45 days. And in the first week, I wasn't so focused in the morning. In fact, I was a little foggy. And my neck was hurting. My shoulders were hurting. And I thought to myself, eh, it's just jet lag. Different pillow. A different mattress. And then it dawned on me, I don't have my bubs with me. The day I got back to the States, I immediately started back up, and within a week of being home, I was focused again, my joints didn't hurt, and I was like, holy, I can tell you that Bub's Naturals works. Great for your skin and hair, by the way. Everything feels good. Unlike a lot of supplements out there, it actually works, and that's the key takeaway here. It works. I'm telling you you will notice a difference. Check out bubsnaturals.com and order some MCT and collagen now. And don't forget to use promo code CANYOUSURVIVE. bubsnaturals.com, promo code CANYOUSURVIVE. Okay, rapid fire complete. Now we're going to dig into you. So uh, where'd you grow up? Grew up in Florida, northern Florida, um, hunting and hunting and surfing at the same time. So I was a little confused, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the good kind of confused, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> always outside and just doing those things, and you know, yeah, God joined the Marine Corps at twenty two because you know I was like eighteen years old and I was like, what am I going to do? And at at twenty years old, after working three jobs at the same time and just working, working, working to try and support myself. I decided, I was like, you know what, let's go try something new and, um, trained for a couple of years to do what I wanted to do in the, in the military. And then got in and did that for a few years, 10, like a little less than 10 years. And then, uh, got out, started a business teaching shooting and survival and went on alone. Now I teach, uh, or now I have a winery too. So, yeah. Um, rewinding back, you joined the military. Did you, did you have like a, did you have a moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to, now I'm going to do this. Or did you have an influencer yeah. or what, what yeah, triggered so what, it? What happened was I was working at Texas roadhouse and, uh, I was cooking. I've been working there for three years now. since I was 17 and my boss, I went to Costa Rica surfing with him. So we got along real well. And, you know, I've always had a good work ethic, um, and loved, loved a stressful situation, even as a cook. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he came up to me one day on a Friday at five o'clock and he's like, Mark, I think we want to make you kitchen manager. And I said, Lucas, I quit, man. And I took <laughs> off my apron and I walked out and it was just like, and I felt really bad because it was my buddy and I, and I walked because it, I was planning on having a good day and it just hit me and I was like, this, this can't be my life. And I just, 
I want to do nothing wrong with doing that for your life, but like I, it wasn't me. It wasn't what I had, what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So I scared the shit out of me and I left. Huh. But I bet you can make a mean steak. You know, compared to some people in my life right now, I feel kind of like I need to step up my game. But yeah, I'm pretty good at <laughs> good at cooking it, right? Yeah, I mean, you did that. They, I mean, sometimes I just take the rabbit and throw it right on the coals, you know. So I'm I'm super lazy about it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll dive into that too because I think people would be interested in like, wait, what? You just throw the rabbit on the coals? <laughs> yeah. Um. So now you 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 just kind of had this revelation or you, basically this moment. You quit. You joined the Marine Corps. And then did you know, like going in, all right, I want to go down this path of recon or was it once you're in, you got educated and kind of found your path? Yeah, I knew I wanted to. So, you know, me and my buddy TJ, we, we Googled, I think it was AOL, high speed internet. I love back then, but, <laughs> um, we, uh, we looked up, you know, Hey, what do we want to do? And we saw, we didn't really know the difference between any of the branch. We were pretty ignorant to all of that. We just saw a picture of a guy coming out of the water and we're like, ah. Oh, it said force recon, you know, I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. So we trained for two years doing, uh, I gained 60 pounds. He lost a hundred and, uh, wow. Yeah. Two years later, we both joined at the same time. We were doing ruck runs and we thought it was going to be something from a movie, obviously. Um, <laughs> so we were like smashing stuff over each other's heads and doing ridiculous things, uh, while we were trying to pay the bills. And then we got in and we're like, okay, this isn't as bad as we thought at all. You know, it was right. a lot easier than you know, we had anticipated. Yeah, that's usually the case, right? It's the anticipation yeah. is worse than the participation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, which is good. This yeah. Is good. yeah, that means you did it right. I mean, I did the same thing. I, you know, my, my days, there wasn't anything. There was no, there was no internet. <laughs> so, you know, I was... I had, I think there was like one or two seal books, and then there was a couple of guys I knew that had gone into Navy and then didn't make it through the, you know, heck, that was the first two or three weeks of BUDS. That's the only information they could give me. And uh, then the rest was kind of left to my imagination, which was far worse. You know, it's not to say that BUDS wasn't difficult. It just, I just made it out to be far worse in my head than it actually ended up being, you know. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. You get, you just get through it and move on. So, all right. So you, I think one of the things you don't, one of the things you don't understand is you actually enjoy the suck sometimes. Yeah. And when you're thinking that you're never thinking you're going to enjoy that, but you know, you're creating those memories that they get. Right. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember like getting a high out of every time somebody else quit. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah. But like, (laughs) When you're on a ruck, when you're on a ruck run and you're sucking ass and you see someone over, over to your left, sucking worse than you. And you're like, okay, I'm doing yeah. pretty good. And you yeah. feel like gives you a boost. It's weird. Right. Or, or passing folks, you know, there's nothing yeah. more demoralizing than being passed. So <laughs> as long as you can just pass someone and just kind of look at them and give them that word of encouragement, even though you're like, yeah, you're going to fucking quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's that little bit of evil that's in all of us, but it's the competitive yeah. spirit. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, all right. So now you go through Marine Corps boot camp, which is uh, a whole lot of fun, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, they, do you feel like in your days, were they still trying to brainwash you? Or did you feel like that, that kind of that, that stereotype is kind of come and gone? Uh, I don't know. I just remember going to it going, a lot of this doesn't make any sense. But I mean, okay, that's fine. Just keep your mouth shut and just, you know, keep doing whatever you got to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, maybe a little bit of, I don't know. I'm yeah. not in, I don't know. There might be some brainwashing. Like, yeah. I think, I think you honestly are, are who you are before you go in. They either enhance a little bit or take away from it. So, right. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. I tell people all the time that if you didn't know how to fight before you go to buds, you're not going to come out knowing how to fight after yeah. buds. You know what I mean? Like right. you're either, yeah. you either, you're a, you're either a fighter uh, whatever you are is what you are, you know, buds is a, is a weed out and it's going to just make you uncomfortable and get rid of the folks that don't really have the passion or the drive to continue on. Right. It's, you're not coming out some ninja badass, you know, unless you went in as one. Right. And it's, I think that's pretty much the same across the board until you get to your units and actually start getting trained in the damn job that you're supposed to be, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think it's funny because I just signed up for boxing lessons, and uh, the boxing instructor was like, "Oh, but you did this in the military." I'm like, "Dude, they did not teach me how to fucking box." Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's. So I think I think everyone gives the like if you never served or you have a certain view of the United States military. There, yeah, we're all uh, we're all expert shots, and you know. <laughs> And they're going to end street fighters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just not the case, you know? It, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just not the case. And so boxing, yeah, I've been doing that for quite some time, actually. Um, I enjoy it. I love it. You know, I kind of need it. I tell people all the time, as crazy as it sounds, the eye-hand-foot coordination in boxing um, is exactly what I need, you know, for my brain. Like, just a healthy brain. Now, yeah, you know... You, you you might spar with someone from time to time and take a couple of hits, but overall it is like one of the best things to keep in your brain healthy, especially for me, my cognitive stuff has kind of gone down the drain um, just from, you know, you know, the deal, like if you're around explosions enough or you en enough hard openings with a parachute or riding on jet boats and it's, you know, basically bouncing your brain around in your skull, um, you end up with a lot of, cognitive stuff and so i kind of leverage boxing now to keep all my body and brain kind of moving as one and uh so i'm not some you know alzheimer what's your name where what's my birthday where am i <laughs> i'm hopefully trying to prevent something like that from occurring down the road is there any reason why you're doing it or you just kind of decided eh, i want to try it out you know um i'm 36 now but I'm starting to feel it a little bit more and I just wanted to pick up a new hobby that was more, uh, keeping you in shape and, you know, keeping you, I don't know, ready, ready. And, uh, now that I live in Portland, you know, I don't know. I teach the whole shooting and, and survival aspect, but you know, the, the reality is most of the time it's going to be hand to hand some idiot yeah yeah just some ridiculousness but like you know keeping in shape and uh 
because you know i just want i just need something it's better than going to the gym i have a little home workout gym here so yeah it gets me out of the house i gotcha yeah i think it's a great idea I, I i support anybody i think boxing is just awesome it's what people don't realize is it's playing chess with four different strikes that's it that's it yeah you know you have a jab you have your straight you have a hook you have an uppercut and then it's on you to put it in the right combination in order to win and uh against your opponent so it's a it's fun it's cool and those are the best workouts you know if you're not throwing up you're not doing it right trust <laughs> me <laughs> all right um okay so now let's dive into surfing and hunting right is that that's what you were yep. doing early on so you already had a little bit of rifle experience before you decided to do sniper yeah, all the oh. wrong stuff, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, the, 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 you taught yourself, I'm assuming, back in the day, and now you're coming in, now you're going to the a world-class sniper school. Obviously, the Marine Corps has uh, the best in the United States military. Um, and tell me about that experience and kind of the gains from it. Going through sniper school? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, one of those things, again, that, you know, you – you plan for the worst. And so I prepared myself from when I was doing, uh, I was doing, I did a couple of muse before I went or at least one making ghillie suits and reading books. And apparently I was reading all the wrong books, but <laughs> you know, went through sniper school, I think overly prepared. Cause I was so worried about, uh, you know, I, I just didn't want to fail. And there's a high attrition rate in that, in that course. So I did extremely well, but like <clears throat> it was, you know, it's different from what I've learned now. Um, but, you know, shit. I mean, it taught me a lot about patience. I'll say that. Yeah. I wasn't exactly a very patient person before I, before I went there and you don't have an option. Right. So. Yeah. It's putting you in a, especially I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about the stalking side, right? Yeah, the stalking, the concealment, um, you know, the the shooting aspect, anybody can fucking do that, in my opinion. Um, as long as you pay attention to the few basics, yeah, uh, and you're not complete booger eater, you can you can shoot long range. Um, especially in today's world, there's there's not really any math involved. It's all computerized. But you know, the the one thing you can't get away with is. Uh, being impatient and when people ask me they're trying to get into hunting um, of anything they're like what's the one thing you, advice you would give me and i would say uh, move slower and you know moving through the mountains or the woods just slower and being more patient observe more talk less that's about it that mindset so yeah that's that's valuable and uh i know on the stalking side do you feel like in there's a correlation, obviously, with hunting and then what you learned with stalking and leveraging dead space and all that good stuff, or no? A hundred percent. And uh, the funny thing is, like, for the guys that have been in the military and or that want to go in and they get that skill set of going through sniper school, you've just gained the skills that a hunter has taken over years, right? In a couple right. of months. And so that's what's pretty neat. Uh, it's different. It 100% is different. One of the things we don't really pay attention to that much is scent in the, in the military. We don't pay as much attention to it as animals do. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, the, the stalking, the concealment side is 
is my bread and butter. When you were asking me, Hey, do you want a rifle or do you want a bow? Yeah. Obviously. I mean, I like the, the primitive bows. Um, I think that's my favorite way to hunt nowadays, but in, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, like if, if I had to pick one, I'm going to pick a rifle, but you know, when you take a bow out, you have to have the ability to not be seen. And I think that's what like really enticed me is I always loved hiding. I always played manhunt growing up, you know, when I was a kid going after one another, cause like a hide and seek. I don't know if you ever, oh, yeah. you ever heard called that but like essentially i loved hiding even as like five-year-old kid hiding around the house it's probably pissed my mom off but like you know the hunting aspect with a bow you got to get close you've got to i still to this day i'll wear like a ghillie top and i'll put cami paint on my face um i don't know that's old school uh yeah and it, and it it's not too ridiculous but you know i went from um hunting with a rifle of wearing jeans you know recently uh wearing jeans and a solid t-shirt saying you don't need camouflage to to hunting close <laughs> close range that's uh, so things change yeah that's an interesting differentiator and obviously when you're in it and for those that don't know anything about it that's probably fascinating because with a rifle you can as they say you can reach out and touch something so you don't necessarily worry about all of that personal awareness stuff. And then you put a bow in someone's hand and you can't just reach out and touch something with an arrow. You've got to actually get within range. And that's pretty damn close if you want to kill it, whatever it is, right? So all of a sudden personal awareness becomes the most important aspect of the deal, right? Yeah. And it's, it's funny how like... Uh, your mental state goes into this because when you're looking at let's say an elk and you're looking at an elk at 10 yards in your head if you're not if you're not completely camouflaged you're going to be saying to yourself it sees me it sees me it sees me you might end up doing something stupid yeah but the you know the reality is it probably doesn't see you. but you know just being camouflaged instead of in this in a set of jeans or just you know regular outdoor clothes it does give you that confidence that that animal does not see does not know where you're at right um able to get your shot off yeah 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 and that's an it's an exhilarating feeling you know i wish i could do that kind of stuff more often but um that's why i envy you you got a great job because you're teaching and living and breathing it all the time and that's pretty cool and getting out there in it whereas uh the path i chose you know doesn't doesn't really do the same for me <laughs> but uh that's okay i like this um so you go through you did you know almost 10 years in the marine corps uh how many deployments did you do in that time uh i did two mews i did one um j soda p to the southern philippines and then i did one deployment to to saudi uh embassy and consulate work oh nice kind of right um yeah different yeah it's a, it breaks it up for those of you listening a mew is uh you know basically you're sitting on a boat for six months right yeah it sucks yeah i did <laughs> I, I did two of those with you back to back uh i did uh two we call it args args mew they're the same thing but um it's really it's the navy pre-positioning themselves on a uh, six-month calendar all over the world and you've got a whole bunch of marines on those boats kind of pre-staged if you will 
And, uh, and then, of course, you, usually there's a platoon of SEALs mixed in, sitting in the lower V with no AC, the bottom of this ship <laughs> with no job, <laughs> hanging out for six months, figuring out how the hell do we get off this thing. Um, but, yeah, I did two of those back-to-back as a SEAL, so that was that was interesting. And then, of course, the wars kicked off. We will be right back after the break. I got to ask, so the Philippine side, were you helping out with AFG or? Yeah, so I went there and, uh, you know, we were just advising and assisting the Filipinos. Um, We were with, I think, a a ranger unit, actually. So it was uh, myself and six Marsat guys. And then uh, the rest of my uh, four-man team, well, myself and three others, uh, they were each integrated with, one was with the SEAL team. Uh, one was with an SF team. Um, I think the other one was with a Marsoc team as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just out there advising and assisting in combat operations. And I mean, when I say advising them, it's like, hey, put some fucking shoes on. You might want to wear <laughs> no, shoes. I know. I know, man. Isn't that crazy? We We did the same thing. We were with those Filipino SEALs for, God, we were there for months. It wasn't even like a normal deployment either. It was like in the you know middle of a workup, and they're like, "Hey, you guys are going over and helping advise these guys, and then help them on running their operations." And same deal, man. It was like, you know, you're giving them carabiners so that they can at least put the put their fen when they come across the beach, take your fens off and put them on the carabiner. But they never computed like, well, where does the car like? No, the carabiner goes on your belt. And they're like, what, what, why? <laughs> like, because you want to keep your fins with you. You know, I don't I don't even know what they were thinking they were going to do with their fins when they came across the beach. I guess they're going to keep them in their hands. I don't know. But yeah, keep them in their hands. But they're looking, they're looking at carabiners like, damn, this thing's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, but, uh, and then that was the first time they, the, they, we sent them out on these ops and, and they get in there and they start going after the AFG guys and kill a bunch of them. And then we kind of come in and do this battle damage assessment thing. And they had, uh, chopped all the fucking heads off of these, of every, and, and so, and we're like, and this is like really my first time kind of being exposed to the whole, how Islam likes to chop heads off thing. <laughs> and so I'm like, why'd you chop all their heads off? They're like, so, so they don't go to heaven. You know, if your head is not intact to the body, then you don't get to go to heaven. You know, I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess keep doing what you're doing, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and I think that's that's the, you know, most people, you know, we unfortunately have gone, went through that phase later. You know, now you've got Al-Qaeda putting Westerners on YouTube, chopping their heads off. And it's, you know, but it goes back to their religion and preventing their, the soul from going to heaven. And I don't think most people don't know that, but I mean, that's, that's exactly why they do it. And it's a, it's a fucked up thing, but whatever. And like I say, their, their culture is their culture. As long as they don't bring it over here, I'm good. (laughs) Right. And uh, I think that's an interesting thing. Like, uh, you know, I've traveled all around the world with the military, but also outside of it. And like, I ask people all the time, I'm like, hey, uh, do you think that it's fucked up the way that Saudis live? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, why? Right. And they're like, what do you mean? Why? It's fucked up. I'm like, that's their culture. That's their life. Yeah. Why should we be imposing our ways on their life? And I think that's something that us as Americans need to 
so I can get a little better at start paying attention to ourselves a little bit more, not trying to turn everybody else into us. Right. Yeah. You're not, I, I, the whole Afghanistan, when we pulled out and Taliban took the country back in 12 days. And I was like, no, no, the country gave the Taliban their country back. And if you think for a second that in our short little, whatever, 12 years or whatever the hell it was that we've been there, you know, that we were going to somehow change their culture. I mean, it's, you're fucking nuts. And it's not yeah. our job. It's not our job to change people's culture. You know, no. how they, you know, the men of Afghanistan have always been in charge, just like the men in any Middle Eastern country. You, you subtract religion out of it. It really boils down to men like being at the top of the food chain <laughs> and they're okay with their women and children being second and third. That's you it's barbaric, basic, simple stuff. It's primitive, yeah. Yeah, and so and so when the U U.S. pulls out, is it really that strange to think that the men of Afghanistan decided to go back with the Taliban because the Taliban put the men back in charge again? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's really just simple stuff, and it's nothing for us to get emotional about. It's like if that's how they want to live, that's how they want to live. You know. Uh, yeah. And we have our ways and obviously they don't like that either, but yeah, yeah. it's just the way the world turns. Um, okay. You get out, you, you did some deployments, got a lot of experience, obviously good stuff. And then you, uh, you get out, we're kind of going to skip straight to alone right now. Which season did you watch? And you decided, well, first let's back up alone. For those that don't know what alone is the TV show, give a snapshot of like, what is the show? Uh, you know, they pick 10 people to go out. You get to pick 10 items from a list. Um, and they drop you off at a location. Uh, and it is your job to try and survive and sustain life off the land as long as you can with these 10 items. Um, you have no one there with you. There is no film crew. They give you a shit ton of batteries and a bunch of cameras and about two days worth of instruction on how to use them. And then, uh, so you're going, you're out there and you're you're filming, and you are trying to survive. You're trying to thrive, um, but you're surviving, starting off for sure. And uh, yeah, so you're dealing with the the physical uh, hardships. You're dealing with the mental aspect of being alone because how many people have ever spent that amount of time actually by themselves, um, cut off from all communications? And then you're dealing with the starvation if you're not eating. So. I mean, there's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's interesting. It looked like, it looks every time, man, it's, it doesn't change. It looks like a nut dragger for everyone, regardless of their skill level. And the ones that didn't have the skills, I mean, obviously it became even more, I, I don't know if it was a horrible experience because they realized how much they really didn't know. Um, or maybe they lacked the confidence or they lacked the, the mental strength, you know, or emotional strength to push through. But I've, I've watched all of them. Um, uh, which one did you watch that made you go, okay, I'm signing up for this. Was it the first one? So I watched every single one. I remember when it, uh, it first came out, I was working in Bridgeport, California at the Mountain Warfare Training Center. And I was teaching the survival and the sniper course up there. And I saw this show that came out and I was like, oh my God, this is glorious. It's realistic, you know, yeah. this isn't, 
this isn't fucking Bear Grylls and this isn't uh, Naked and Afraid. Well, Naked and Afraid, I give them a lot of credit because I wouldn't. that seems hard as anything. Uh, being barefoot, automatically I'm already going to be pissed. But like yeah. getting mosquitoes, I just don't like that environment. <laughs> yeah. But um, Survivor, I think it's a joke. I think it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of games. Um, there's a lot of reality survival shows out there that are um, just entertaining. For, yeah, yeah, they're just not not realistic and this show is about as realistic as it gets you got let's say you're on a boat in some island in alaska and the, and the boat dies your communication fails and you got some items with you well it's time to get to work until someone comes and finds you right yeah and uh, so it's just the uh, so i fell in love with it and you know uh my buddy donnie dust went on it um season six and recommended me and so luckily enough you know i was i was lucky to have him recommend me and got on the show and it was awesome yeah yeah it's uh for those of you listening you got to check it out if you and you'll end up binging it whether you're into survival or not you'll find yourself still interested because it's still a it's still a social experiment even though everyone is put out there individually into the wild with their 10 items and then they just got to figure it out and be their own producer actor and director the whole time right? that's a lot that's yeah a lot. that's a lot i think a lot of people don't really understand is uh how much filming you have to do and how many bunny rabbits i missed because i had to set up my fucking gopro um <laughs> yeah, there goes dinner like <laughs> yeah you get to the point where you're like okay you know this is this is a little bit much, but if, it, if it, you don't catch it on camera, it never happened. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a battle of I need to film things um, or else people will not know what I'm capable of. At the same time, like I need to do things. Right. Uh, so it, it's definitely a struggle, but, you know, you get used to it and you get you figure it out as you go. Yeah, you definitely did. Um, so what was your most valuable tool that you you that, or maybe it was a tool you didn't have. You were like, damn, I wish I had one of those. You know, what ended up being my most valuable tool was 550 cord um, because I made a gill net with that 550 cord. Oh. Uh, and that gill net brought in like at least 350 pounds of fish. And so that, that's a lot of fish that was bringing in each and every day. Um, I remember when you made that too. You took your time and you built like a masterpiece of gill net. You know, and they didn't really even, uh, I had built the gill net. That was the one thing that I was building over and over and over um, to get the time right, to get it done within seven hours and uh, to get it the right size. There's a lot of regulations they put on the size and everything. Oh, so, so you size... had to follow, you had to follow like rules. Oh yeah. Hey, oh yeah. yeah. They there, don't talk rules. about that. There's rules people don't even know about. No trapping. Of, <laughs> uh, we weren't allowed to trap any fur-bearing animals, so no fox, no beaver. Um, we were only allowed to hunt certain animals. Uh, you weren't allowed to hunt them at night. Uh, certain Your gill net squares had to be a certain size to allow a certain size fish to go in. Oh, so, man. Yeah, there, there's a lot of rules. So you've got the Canadian rules. You know, the country yeah. of Canada, their rules. You've got uh, the indigenous people's rules, that, the land that we were on, mm. um, the Diné. And then you've got the uh, 
you got the production's rules. We had wolf tags handed to us, and then the production took them away. They're like, oh, we don't want to see anybody kill a wolf on TV. And I was like, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, we want you to survive as long as you can, and we're going to make it realistic. But now we're going to make it harder than it would be because we're going to add rules on top of it. Yeah. And then we're going to give you a camera to make you film it. So, wow. That's pretty limiting. A, yeah. But it is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to go out there and even with these rules set in place, uh, be able to be by yourself and see how you like it and see how important it is and just to do it. And nothing's more gratifying than catching fish in a gill net that you've never actually caught fish in before because you've mm-hmm. never been able to use it. Yeah. Um, then, then going out there and doing it and being like, wow, yeah, the proof's in the pudding. And, you know, there's so many survival books out there. Um, and so many survival YouTube videos and stuff like that. And so it's interesting to go out there and do this and live off the land for that long and see like, hey, what really works and what doesn't? And what would I apply to this situation? What wouldn't I? Yeah. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing there was a point in the show where you were like, okay, uh, I've been out here. How many, how many days did you go for? Uh, 44. 44 that's right yeah all by yourself so do you feel like a little bit of the uh stir crazy kicked in at all for you or they definitely portrayed it that way um which i thought was funny (laughs) um (laughs) no i mean i was out there and i was having a damn good time up until day 35 and i was just having fun and it was pretty amazing and then when my body started like things started happening with my body. I was like, okay, I'm tired. Um, hard to breathe, blah, blah, blah. When these things started happening, it definitely got to me more, um, because I've done some pretty hard things in the military and I'm eating well out here. I'm not understanding why my body's shutting down. I'm like, Oh, I must need more blueberries or some shit. Um, (laughs) and so I get to the point where I'm just keep digressing and digressing to where I'm like, I, this is this is not good. I know I'm not going to be able to sustain uh, it to 100 days because I keep going downhill. No sleep and the breathing's difficult and getting firewood just turned into this like for a couple of sticks was an ordeal for me. And so the mental aspect, but like, you know, it's funny because people, they always say, oh, you're going to miss your, your family and you're going to miss this and that. And the reality is in the beginning, you don't care about anything, but, you know, fire, water, shelter, food. Yeah. Um, and that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We, we only care about our level of survivability uh, first and the second. And then, hey, I need to last a week and then I need to last a month. And then you start thinking about things like love. Uh, you start thinking about things like your family, relationships. Um, but I'll tell you right now, you think about peanut butter before you think about your family. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. Just, just you know, like I kind of compare it to some of the deployments where people are like, "Oh, you miss your family?" And not, not really, because there's a whole lot of other things going on around us that you know, you know, keeps your mind off all that. Priority sounds yeah. sounds bad, but it's the truth, and that's just the way it is. But I kind of yeah. get that part now. I think the most I've ever did by myself was like two weeks, you know, that's nothing compared to, uh, what you've done. And, um, it's impressive. 
And I knew that, you know, really it was the health side of things. You probably would have just kept on going, but you ultimately you had to just look out for yourself. And it's, at the end, you well, had to think it's a TV show, it's right? Funny cause, it's funny because I didn't know what was happening to my body. All I knew was um, I just knew I was tired, really. That's what it boiled down to. I'm like, I'm fucking tired. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in a, a physical exhaustion I've never felt before. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I had a, I had like this little pain on my right shoulder and, you know, but when they came up to me and when I, when I decided to tap, they're like, why you have like food. And I'm like, I know I'm not, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I was like, I'm just friggin' done. Yeah. I'm spent. And you know, that led me down the road to realizing how bad it was. Um, about a week later I found out. Um, but you know, I'm super fortunate, very, 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 very lucky that I quit when I did. Yeah, because you ended up having a, uh, what was it, a bacterial infection? Yeah, so I ended up getting uh, trichinosis. and oh, tricky uh, trick, yeah. And trichinosis went into my all my organs, got to my heart, put me in congestive heart failure. And so I was out there for um, at least 10 days with my heart failing. And, you know, by the time I got to, by the time they figured it out and everything that I was in congestive heart failure, um, I was back here in Portland and my, my legs were swelled up from my knees down and um you know i was talking to the doc i tried to leave the hospital on like the third day and that's in the states i went to the hospital in canada for a bit and they were about as worthless as, as can be and <laughs> and uh not a fan of canadian healthcare system but uh you know i asked him i was like hey can i go home and just you know get better at home and come in every day and he was like sit the fuck down yeah he's like you, you would have stayed out there one to two more days longer you would have died and i was like what i was like really i was like yeah he's like so you know that but that was it was cool because i don't have any long-term lasting effects from this parasite um and i also learned hey how does my body like i learned a couple things one always cook your fish even your fish when you're out in a situation like that uh (laughs) 160 degrees i was out there living like a king cooking at medium rare um two uh I learned to, to trust, trust your instincts, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, that sixth sense, because man, I didn't know that I was that close to, to, to not making it, but like, I knew that something wasn't right. And, uh, so I decided to, to tap and thank God I did when I did, because, you know, they always teach you in like seer school and stuff to come back alive. Yeah. And that's not what was going through my head at that point in time. I just, you know, I just knew I was regressing, but, uh, I'm like, man, yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot of truth in it. Cause some of us always want to try and stick it out. And, uh, we will take our pride and put it in front yeah. of our health. And in the long run, it's just not worth it. You know, yeah. uh, being there for your kids is worth it and being there to, for new memories. But like, if you're going to die, it's not worth it. So, All right. No doubt, man. Yeah. And being able to know your body, so well that when you do get a glitch you 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 actually notice it i mean how many i mean how many people go day in and day out and have no idea how sick they really are because they have just no idea of their own like human performance status you know it's really well, so, strange and i think that's the thing that the military guys have or they have a little bit of an edge well i wouldn't say just them but people that have been through hard hard situations in life and that have been through been through hell and back like you know that this is tough yeah. you know what your body can do 
Mm-hmm. And so when you're out there in a, in a situation that doesn't seem like it should be as tough as some of the things you've done before, but it's way worse uh, and it doesn't make sense, you know, that definitely helps out. Push your body as hard as you can in training and, and in, in, in the life of the easy life. And then when it comes to reality, you know, it'll pay off. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. And tricky trick. I mean, that's uh that's one of those like you know, very curable things these days, you know? It's like it's so funny, right? I'm sure you were like, well, you obviously had it spread and it went systemic. But I know when tricky trick is detected early, you know, it's like, okay, get on these meds and you're good to go like, you know, 72 hours later. <laughs> uh, but you had it are- everywhere, so it took a little longer, it- right? Yeah. Yeah, it took, so it takes about, for the, for trichinosis, because, you know, some people, there's like, I I tell this to doctors sometimes, and they don't, if you're you're not an infectious disease doctor, they don't really understand, like, trichinosis, or, man, I can't remember, there's like an STD trichinosis, trick, and then there's like a parasite trichinosis, and so the one that uh, you get from eating bears and mountain lions and fox and meat-eating animals and certain fish, uh, it takes about two weeks of taking uh, albendazole or something like that. Oh, okay. To be able to, be able to, to clear this thing out of your system. And uh, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Stephen Ronella. Oh, he ended yeah. Up getting, yeah, he ended up getting trichinosis as well from eating bear stuff. And like, it goes from, it won't, it'll pass through your body. So it could just pass through your body, um, give you the shits and, you know, you're not feeling too well to, it'll kill you in four to six weeks, but the recovery process, when it gets so close to shutting your heart down and shutting your liver and your kidneys down that it, uh, the recovery process took like three months. Damn. So it was three months of MRIs and echocardiograms of the heart. And then the liver started going crazy, but it was, it was legit. I was like, Oh, you know, I tried to go grocery. I mean, your heart doesn't work. Believe it or not, it's fucking hard to do shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so, well, what happened? My power source isn't working. <laughs> and it's crazy to have a conversation with some of my clients I teach nowadays. Some of them are older, 65, 70 years old, and they've been in the same situation of heart failure. They're like, you've had that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah. It wasn't from being out of shape. It was from just pushing the limits. And uh, yeah. Well, good job, man. Good job listening to your body. And then everybody should take those lessons learned and carry them. Hey, listen to your body. And like you pointed out, instincts and and just pay attention, you know, to the little things because they could mean something. Um, great stuff. And if you haven't checked out alone, check out season seven. You'll see, uh, you'll see Mark there kicking ass. Um, and I feel like the seasons just got better and better and better with their selection of folks. And obviously you, uh, you got, you made an impression on me, which is why you're here today. And I appreciate you being here, but now, you know, you've survived some, you know, pretty good stuff, but I think we have something for you here. We'll see if you can survive this podcast. Are you ready for your little scenario? (laughs) All right. You're listening to, can you survive this podcast? Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. So we picked something a little outdoorsy, I think, just looking at the first sentences here, the woods. Um, So let's see here. For this scenario, you're taking a trip alone to a cabin in the woods for the weekend. 
On your first morning in the woods, you decide to take a walk in the woods. The woods are south of the cabin, and the entrance to the forest is about 50 about 50 feet from your cabin, all right? Uh, you start walking towards the entrance of the woods, and uh, when you realize you left your cell phone on the charger in the cabin. So, first question. Do you A, continue on into the woods without it, or B, go back and grab your phone? I mean, I got to take pictures. <laughs> okay. Good answer. <laughs> so, yes, being alone in the woods far from home you should always bring your phone just in case of emergency i think people get it confused when we say hey yeah do all primitive stuff it doesn't mean you got to like you know pick cotton in order to make your t-shirts it's just hey you can leverage modern technology and still be good at surviving and it's combining both is not a bad idea so you grab your phone and you head into the woods um you walk south for a while suddenly you slip on a rock and tumble down a hill you hit your head in the process, and you're almost knocked out, okay? Um, you come to your senses, and now the sun is nearly gone, and it's getting dark fast. Your cell phone has no service. Damn it. So, do you A, start sprinting back in the direction you came from, or B, collect some supplies and prepare to hunker down for the night? You hit your head. Yeah, How you far go. away are we? What did it say? Uh, no ways. Yeah, ways. No real Left distance. Left in the morning. Um, man, could I have a concussion. I'm, I'm gonna have to say, like, I mean, I usually want to sit there and hang out, rest, relax, start a fire. But I think in this one, I'm like, man, it's dark. You got a headlamp? We got a headlamp? What's that? What's going on? No headlamp. Oh, it's dark. <laughs> no. We're gonna get lost. No. Definitely gonna get lost. Okay, so I'm thinking we're just gonna hunker down and start the fire. There we go. B, collect some supplies and prepare. You know, because it is getting dark and you fell and hit your head, you know, you really, you know enough to know that you can't, you may not be able to trust your decision. So it's better just to remain in a stable environment and um, and and take a break for at least the evening. Um, and it's tough to tell which direction you came from. I mean, you fell down a hill, so... Uh, so you, so in sprinting, of course, it's never a good idea to just make a decision, start running. <laughs> you could end up more lost and really not know where the hell you are or injure yourself some more because it's dark out. So, um, you need to prepare to hunker down for the night. Uh, so you get some materials, uh, that need to be, uh, you know, you got to start a fire as you mentioned. So do you a collect some dry pine cones and pine needles and dry leaves or B, collect damp leaves and, and, and big large logs. I'm going to collect some dry stuff. <laughs> yes, and believe it or not, some people out there just don't know the difference between the two. You cannot burn wet stuff. Alright, so always look for the dry stuff. Uh, it's there, even when it's raining. Um, so do you have uh, like your kind of go-to way of starting a fire, your own little tricks. Of yeah, the trade. I, I like uh, you know worst case scenario if it is because I'm in the Pacific Northwest and it's always damn raining now. So you yeah. know my go-to way out here with just a ferro rod is going to be just take a piece of wood, split it, get some shavings from the inside because you know that's going to be dry, and I know I can light shavings with a ferro rod if I can find something that's some type of tinder. 
um, then great. But if I can't, then I'm just going to, it takes about an hour to get some really good shavings uh, that could take up to an hour, but you know, you're going to get that fire lit. Oh, so. that's good. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, you know, it's really, you just nailed it. It's like, just all you gotta do is scrape away the wet and find the dry, right? Yeah. What to the inside. And, yeah. Whether that's the piece of wood that you want to burn or even the, the surface, the surf, the surface, the ground, just, you can find dry just a couple of layers down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, common sense prevails. Okay. So, uh, for this scenario, you have a lighter with you. Okay. Now that we've talked about that. <laughs> and so you get a fire going, um, you know, you get the, you know, obviously using your tricks are kind of probably the best way to go. Cause you know it, you've done it. Um, and it's foolproof. So now do you a curl up on the ground next to your fire and get some sleep or B build a, a lean to type shelter next to the fire. Mm. Is it, is it going to rain? Yeah. Um, let's just, I mean, there's so many things that go into this. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. I know. Burn everything and, uh, <laughs> it, these are all big questions in your world. I bare know. minimum. Yeah. I'm going to have to say build a lean to because if you build a lean to, you're also going to build a bed platform in there to keep you off the ground. Uh, cause as we all know, the, the ground sucks the heat out of you. So bare minimum, um, it might take two or three hours to do it. Uh, it's going to take a lot longer in the dark without a headlamp, but I'd build something. Yeah. Uh, to okay. Keep me off the ground and keep me dry. There you go. You made some great points. And, and that's, that's really the goal here is you got to stay dry and you got to get your body up off the ground. And have you found like the whole, like, Oh, I'm just going to go put a bunch of pile of leaves or pine cones and pine needles and brush and create a bed and it's thick enough to where it gets me off the ground. Do you feel like that actually works? Oh yeah, it, it works really well. Um, yeah. it, it's it's amazing. Uh, I, I when I went through sear school it was the first time I actually like just jumped in a shit ton of leaves. I'd never like you know I'm usually with pine needles and don't have a lot of deciduous trees where I'm at. Yeah, but you know in sear school I went and jumped in a bunch of leaves and it kept. I mean it was amazing how much heat you kept in, but just jumping in the leaves. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah but, and then keeping yourself off the ground, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it works well. Awesome. That's good to know. And I think, uh, you know, once again, listeners, you got to, you know, that the earth is is just six feet below the earth. It's a, it's a constant 55 degrees no matter where you are. So it's the same reason why animals dig and bed down because they're looking either to stay cool or stay warm, right? So... Uh, but having that layer of insulation between you and the earth certainly will allow you to keep your own heat. Um, and depending on the environment, depending on what the temperature is outside, you know, you could dig to bed down and find cool, cooler ground, uh, and use that to your advantage as well. Uh, okay. So the morning comes, you made it through the night. Now you need to figure out how to get out of there. Your cell phone still has no service and you need to get, get, uh, get moving. So remember, the cabin is north. So next, do you A, move in the same direction as the side of the trees, okay, that have no moss growth. <laughs> now, this is some of that survival book stuff. We'll see if it's true or not based on your experience. Or B, move in the same direction as the side of the trees covered in moss. 
Okay, so they say that the side facing north, which gets less sunlight, yep. uh, has more moss on it. Yep. So you, you want to move. Yeah. So you, you know, that's the thing. So you were going to want to move in the direction of the moss. Yeah, the moss. There you go. Yeah. Now I have personally looked around and to. And it really depends. I mean, I've seen trees covered in moss 360 degrees. <laughs> 100 percent. Yeah, and I'm like, well, okay, now maybe it's the side that has a thicker amount of moss. But uh I mean, you gotta get lucky with your tree selection because ideally it's uh it's trees on the probably the edges of where there's a, a well, it could be a fire break or it could be space because you need one side of the tree to actually get light and then the other one that doesn't. Um, but if you're looking at trees in the middle of a forest, then there's probably moss on all sides. And listeners, you have to kind of keep that in mind. All of these tricks of looking at nature to determine direction, uh, it's better to know all the tricks and then look at look for the most common denominators that are surround you at that point in time in order to find your way home, right? 100%. Um, Okay, so yes, shady side tends to be more moist. More moist means moss. Moss means north. And because of that, you know, the southern side of anything usually gets more sunlight because it has the sun staring at it all day long as the sun moves across the sky uh, from east to west. So there you go. All right, so now you're making your way north and you're getting thirsty, all right? Uh, you happen to cross a stream. So do you, A, bend down and drink directly from that stream, or B, dig a hole next to the water's edge to collect your water? <laughs> you know... Another survival trick. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know how well that would actually filter out Okay, so we got sand, right? That's what I'm talking, thinking. We, yeah. You know, we have yeah. a dirt or sand. I mean, if we can, then dig, dig the hole. Why not take the chance? You know, cryptos spray a majority. It takes about five, three to five days to kick in anyways, which is what you're going to get and make you sick. But you never know if you're stuck out there longer. That might be the difference between life and death. So might, might as well do something as easy as dig a hole. Yeah, right. And you can go even further, and I don't know if you agree. Dig the hole water will start to rise inside the hole because it's next to a water source which filters out something not it's not going to do microscopic stuff as you already mentioned then you can take your shirt shove it down in there as another filter squeeze it you know there's all these tricks um and really at the end of the day boiling water is like the only real good way to go unless you have some cool filters with you um yeah any other kind of outdoor tricks that you feel are a little, you know, it's, it's, fun. it's funny because you can boil water in just about anything. You can boil water in a, in a, in a plastic bag. And it's just a matter of taking those. And I, when I learned this trick, I was like, this is amazing. This is such a great survival trick. So whatever you have uh, a water bottle, a real thin plastic water bottle or anything, if it holds water and you take rocks, hot rocks, you don't put a lot of water in there, obviously, if you don't have a lot of big rocks, but you get hot rocks, you put them in the water and it'll boil the water and, you know, get it clear so or get it clean and yeah. disinfect. Um, Simple. Yeah, boiling. Boil, yeah. And I, I also found it interesting that even, like, your plastic water bottles, you can hover over a, an open fire 
as long as the water bottle is completely full, it's when there's an air gap that the plastic will then try to melt inward or, right? So you got to just make sure it's full of water and then put it over the heat source. It's going to take longer that way. The rock's definitely a better way, especially if you have like a big mouth big mouth opening now gene bottle and you throw a rock yeah. in there that's super hot that's that's it, definitely it, it, a bunch of little rocks uh, whatever fits in there but if you fill yeah. it up a quarter of the way and you do that it'll it'll start to boil within a couple seconds and then you can just redo that and redo that but yeah yeah the, uh, cool. I've, I've never really it it kind of messes up that water bottle and i'm always trying to preserve my gear when yeah. I'm to put it back to the fire yeah, but I'm yeah I'm with you. The the whole like melted plastic. What is that really going to do in the long term? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good good job. So uh, now you uh, let's see where are we in this thing? Oh, you manage uh, to get a little bit to drink and uh, get hydrated. Okay, and then before you know it, there's a wild boar charging you. <laughs> so do you a kick the boar in the face or b Get some distance between you and the boar up a tree. Get some distance. Right. Yeah, you're not going to... I think people underestimate the armor that a boar has. (laughs) Its head, the initial cape, uh, which is the area around its shoulders and its neck. I mean, heck, there's some some bullet rounds that don't even penetrate through that that cape they've got. Um, So, yes, you want to get up the tree. Now... If it's a big boar, they will stand up and put those their their whatever their front feet hooves on that on that tree and still try to get you. But uh, they're probably not going to climb up it, which is uh, which is good for us. Um, have you ever dealt with any boar coming at you or had any issues like that? I have. When I was younger, walking through a stand, walking to a stand in the woods, and came across a, a sow with her little piglets well, and. Yeah. Uh, and she got pissed off and straight up turned around and started coming at me. And I had to get up that stand a little faster than I wanted. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't mess around and they eat bone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you, uh, you get up the tree, the boar runs off. Um, and now you're uh, really not sure which way is North. So, do you a head in the direction on the side of the trees with the most branches, leaves, and overgrowth, or head in the opposite direction of the trees with the most overgrowth? Once again, we're kind of talking about we're the opposite about of it. moss. It's just, are we, uh... <laughs> Once again, these are perfectly staged trees where one side is going to be lopsided than the other because of the sun, right? Okay. I was also thinking, I was thinking like avalanches. I was like, I wonder, are they talking like snow loads? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I would just knock the entire tree down, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, so think about which way is north. and Yeah. I would say the, the side facing north has got more tree branches and stuff. Yeah, uh, well, they say because the sun, the southern side, if you look at trees naturally there'll be more branches on the southern side because that side of the tree is growing towards the light so oh, there'll, be, okay. there'll be more huh. more sense. leaves more vegetation more growth so supposedly you know every tree is lopsided and 
you you have to literally walk 360 degrees around the tree before you actually see the lopsidedness. And then usually that lopsided side is the southern side because it's getting the most sunlight. And then now you can kind of relatively figure out north. But once again, as mentioned, if you're looking at moss, you're looking at tree growth, bushes, vines, and you're really taking in all of these factors to then find the common denominators and determine which way is north. And by the way, we and it's funny in survival, we always say, find north. But remember, in this scenario, we're saying the cabin is north. What you'll hear all the time is, oh, you got to find north. But the reality is, yes, you want to find, get your proper cardinal bearings. But, and once again, this isn't for you, Mark. For those of you listening, you want to go back to wherever civilization is. Civilization could be south, but we always hear, find north. Go north, right? But the reality is, is you have to know where you are on a map and where, in relation to where help is and rescue, civilization, whatever that is, the closest village. And that is where you want to go, which means you need to know where you are from the beginning so that it makes it easier when you get lost. Okay. Just want to say all that out loud. All right. Um, you continue on your way and see your cell phone now has service. Okay, yay. Um, so do you, A, call someone and let them know you need help, or B, text message several people and let them know where you are? Make a call or text? Oh, man, I think we're talking about battery life? Uh, well, you know. Uh, or, I don't, I mean, texts go through easily i feel like text will go through easier than a phone call uh, but i would i would say call someone if you can yeah. yeah because you want a human to say roger that yeah. you know how many times you send someone a text and you don't get a response for like you know a day well, <laughs> i yeah. do it to people all the time <laughs> they'll text me and i'll go oh yeah i forgot to respond to that three days ago and uh so you know calling someone and getting another human to respond to go oh you're lost okay let me see yeah yes i'll call 911 for you or hey here's my or send your location to them as soon as you get off the call right yeah you nailed it man you got to talk to someone you got to ensure someone knows that you are in trouble um it's worth making those calls uh Text messaging, once again, you can do it. Uh, and most of the time out in the boonies, it turns into SMS. Uh, those usually make it through, but there's no guarantee that someone's going to actually read them in the time in which you need help. Okay, last question. Uh, do you, A, use your phone compass feature and keep moving in the direction uh, along with using share your location? Uh, or B, just stay put and wait for a rescue? Keep moving. Keep moving. That's right. Keep moving. Use your compass. Use the tools you have. And then also continue sharing your location so that you can be found. And Mark, uh, you have survived this podcast. <laughs> Good job. I went south for a little bit. What's that? I, said I went south for a little bit. That's okay. You did good. <laughs> um and uh, hey, man, you obviously a, a expert in your craft and a lot of valuable information. I'm I was thinking about uh, attending one of your courses, so please send me uh, whatever information you've got on that. And for those that want to attend some of the stuff you've got going on, where can they find you and sign up and learn more about you? 
Yeah, man. Uh, intsurvival.com, uh, short for international. Um, and then they can go on the Instagram, shoot, hunt, survive, and find me there. And usually people will reach out on there. And everything that I do is is private courses. So either one-on-one or, or one-on-two, but uh, private bookings. That way my clients come. They, they usually go through a four-course progression. But doesn't matter what your skill level or experience level is, by the end of it, you should be able to uh, navigate through the mountains, self-sustaining life off of the land with a rifle, engaging targets. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my what I try and teach people to do is the jack of all trades, master of none. So they can either find me on Instagram or intsurvival.com for that. Awesome. Well, there you go, folks. And if you have a hard time finding him, you can just go look at who I follow. I follow Mark, and I have been for a while. He's got a great feed at Shoot, Hunt, Survive, or INT. Uh, Say your website again. Sorry. INTsurvival.com. There you go. INT, short for internationalsurvival.com. Hey, thanks again. Thanks for your service. Uh, Appreciate the time we've had together, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care, everyone. And like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. All right. Until next time, be safe out there. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.